This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs.
What a Savior. He gave His life's blood for you and for me. Let's just still our hearts for a moment. Father, we really, we just rejoice in the reality of the resurrection. And as we just kind of settle our hearts for time in your word I pray that you would really manifest yourself to us in a special way Lord that this wouldn't be just an Easter service another Easter service that we've all been to but I pray that this would be something where just the power of the Holy Spirit would grip us Lord when we walk out of here in a few moments that we would be so moved, not by the music, not by the message, but by, by Jesus. Oh, Lord, give us a uh, few distractions this, this morning. Just uh, we know how we're so easily distracted with things. And, and I pray that, Father, uh, you would just help us to be able to focus on you and hear your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, if you would go ahead and open your Bibles there. 
this morning I want to talk to you about his story. And, and most of you know a little bit about his story. I'm talking about the story of Jesus. <clears throat> you at least know the, the big events. Uh, you know that in or around the year 4 BC, Jesus was born in a very humble stable. And of course, we call that the Christmas story. And that's a beautiful story. And we love that. But there's more to his story. And then you know the part where Jesus was nailed to the cross for our sins and conquered death on the third day. And, and of course, that's the Easter story that we are celebrating today. And it's a thrilling story that anchors our faith. But there's still more to his story. Some of you have heard the part about the ascension. This is where Christ mysteriously ascended up into the heavens and saying, I will return again. And of course, the Bible says he came the first time as a very meek and mild-mannered lamb. But the Bible also says that one day he will return as a lion of the tribe of Judah. And uh, I'm looking forward to that time. Uh, there's still more. Even though the ascension marked the end of Jesus' life on earth, it's not the end of his story. Because you see, he lives on. And after 2,000 years, the church, even though it's been maligned, even though the church has been persecuted, even though the church has gone through times where they have strayed away from the gospel of Jesus, yet the church is still alive and well. And Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, says, I will build my church. And that's a relief to me. I don't have to build the church. I will build my church is what Jesus said. And, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And just in case you didn't know, Jesus is still building His church today. Now this morning for our Easter challenge, I want to go a little bit different route. A little bit non-traditional. And I want to fill you in on some lesser known details of His story. Follow me back in history to the year 38 A.D., nine years after the death of Jesus. The church of Jesus Christ was continuing to grow, but, but now because Christianity was becoming a substantial movement and was threatening the religious status quo, persecution began. And a man by the name of Stephen would be stoned to death, which would be the first time on record that someone would lose their life for the cause of Christ. And it gets worse. As history moves into the years 250 to 261 A.D., which incidentally, incidentally ended up being called the decade of horror. Thousands were tortured and even slaughtered for the cause of Christ. And when the church came out of that time frame, they had three new classifications. First of all, there were the martyrs. And we understand the term martyr. They were the ones who didn't make it. They were killed for their faith. And even though he came along a little bit later on in history, one of the martyrs was Justin Martyr. And during those days, they really didn't go by last names. So with the name Justin Martyr, you know what happened to him. Tertullian was another one that was killed for his faith. There were many people who gave their lives for the truth that you and I take for granted today. So we had the martyrs, but then the second classification that they were called the lapsi. Now, this is an interesting name. Uh, when persecution came, these people lapsed and recanted of their faith. But then when the persecution was over, they wanted back in. Kind of like some of us today. And then the third group, they were called the confessors. 
These were people who were not killed for their faith, but they were tortured. Some had their arms cut off. Some had their tongue cut out. Some had their eyes gouged out. They bore on their bodies marks because they would not turn their backs on Jesus. Finally, in the year 311, the edict of toleration was put into effect and and the persecution ended. The man's name was Constantine. He was going into battle the next day. He had a dream during the night of a cross. and, And so he puts the symbol of the cross on all of the shields of his army that they would carry. And they won the battle. And as a result, Constantine came to know Christ. He declared Christianity to be the official religion of the Roman Empire. But sadly, the church got in trouble again. The church moved into the Middle Ages, which really should have been called the Dark Ages. Immorality entered the church at the highest levels of leadership. It was a known fact that as bishops and cardinals would gather in cities for conferences, prostitution would increase in those cities. This was also a time period when the church began the sale of indulgences. Where you would plan your sin and then go buy forgiveness For that sin in advance. It was a tragic time for the church of Jesus Christ. God could have turned his back on the church. But he didn't. Because Jesus was still building his church. Well in Czechoslovakia. Early in the 1400's. A a man by the name of John Hus. Some would pronounce it John Hus. But John Hus appeared on the scene. and, And John Hus began to understand and teach and even write books about the reality of sins forgiven through the blood of Jesus shed on the cross. And as a result, he was viewed as a heretic and and put on the watch list for those considered to be dangerous to the church. In the year 1414, they called him in and they said, John, who's recant? But he would not. And so they took all of the books that he had painstakingly written by hand. and, And there were quite a few because he was quite a prolific writer. But they took every copy he had written, placed them in the fire, and he watched his entire life's work go up in flames. In fact, nothing today remains of what John Hus wrote. After burning his books, the executioner then tied Hus's hands behind his back and bound his neck with a chain to a stake around which wood and straw had been piled up to his head. And, and at the last moment, the imperial marshal again asked Hus to recant and And John Hoos declined saying, and this is powerful, he said in the same truth of the gospel, which I've written, taught, and preached, I am ready to die today. And they lit the fire that would take the life of John Hoos. But again, God wasn't finished building his church. The year was 1483. A man by the name of Martin Luther came on the scene and on the way to law school one day, lightning struck him down, just about killed him. And he lay there and cried out, God, if you will spare my life, I will become a priest. And God did spare his life. And Martin Luther went through the training at a monastery to become a priest. In 1505, he finished his training. And for the very first time after he graduated from training, he was holding the communion elements, ready to to bless them and consecrate them before serving them. And all of a sudden, he became so tormented by his sin. And there he is ready to bless those communion elements. And, and his hands began to shake. And, and those around him thought he was going to spill the elements. They had to go and support him so that those communion elements would not be spilled. Martin Luther would keep on struggling, trying to find true salvation. 
just so tormented about his sin. And, and, and the religious hierarchy assigned him to the University of Wittenberg where he became a professor. But he was still miserable. And, and he constantly went back to a father named Stoppitz. And, and time and again, he would, he would go to Father Stoppitz and say, I'm concerned. I'm afraid. I'm afraid that maybe I've committed a sin that I haven't thought of. Oh, here's another sin, Father, and I confess it to you. It is said that Father Stoppitz became so weary of Martin Luther's obsession to be free from his sins. And so he said, I'm going to give you an assignment to preoccupy your thoughts. And he said, I want you to do an exhaustive study of the books of Galatians, Ephesians, and Romans. Well, in the midst of this assignment, he went to the grand city of Rome. Hoping to to, to discover true salvation. But in Rome, he was stunned by the irreverence of the church leaders. And one day while doing penance. He was climbing on his knees up the 28 steps of a church now known as the Scala Sancta. Or in other words, the sanctuary of the Holy Stairs. The light of revelation hit him. And he read those words in Romans chapter 1 verse 17. The just shall live by his faith. And and he stopped there on the steps still on his knees. And he couldn't get those words out out of his mind. The just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. And he was thinking about that, meditating on it. And, and all of a sudden, the light of God's word made its way into his heart. And he understood the just shall live by faith. And Martin Luther jumped to his feet and went back to Wittenberg, where he posted on the church doors his 95 theses and, or suggestions. In, in those days, when, when people wanted to discuss or debate certain issues, they would post it there on the church doors. And Martin Luther wanted to bring out the error of the church and the wickedness of the leadership. He was most offended by a monk named Tetzel. Tetzel was walking through the street selling freedom for your deceased relatives to spring them out of purgatory. And and Tetzel was yelling, you know what, if you pay enough money, I'll get a thousand years off of your loved ones there in purgatory. Or if you pay me enough, you can get them out right now. And Luther was incensed by this. Well, in 1521, he was taken to what was called the Diet of Worms. It was a place of debate in the city of Worms. And and when he got there ready to debate and bring out the truth of God's word, he was shocked when they said, Martin Luther, we will not allow any debate. And and furthermore, you're teaching heresy and, and we command you to recant or you'll pay a dear price. And Martin Luther said, You know, I thought this was a place of discussion. May may I just discuss God's word with you? And and they said, no, Martin Luther, recant or else. And he said, but I thought this was where we could do this. And they said, no, you have one chance. If you do not recant, the consequences will be severe. And he said, well, could I think about this overnight? And they gave him the night, but with the warning of recant or else. And Martin Luther came back the next day and they said, Martin Luther, what is your answer? And here's what he said. My conscience is held captive by the word of God. I cannot. I will not recant. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. Amen. With that, he was abruptly dismissed by the church leadership. He began walking home. But while on his way home, he was kidnapped by people that he thought were going to kill him. But he came to realize that his friends were the ones that had kidnapped him because they got, had gotten wind that down the road there were some people that were planning to take his life. So his friends, to keep him safe, they, they took him to a castle called the Wartburg Castle where Martin Luther stayed eight months in a small room. And this was God-ordained because during that time 
He took the Greek text of the New Testament and translated it into the German language. And for the first time, common people would have the written word of God in their own language. And ladies and gentlemen, I don't know if you realize this or not, but once the word of God gets out, you cannot contain the fire. And God's holy word began to spread like wildfire across the continent. Well, William Tyndale in England now felt the burden to translate the Bible into English, but he was forbidden. So he went over to Germany and he worked on it day and night and he began to smuggle Bibles in English back to England. And and the authorities began to get wind of this. And so they warned him saying, we will take your life if we find out you're responsible for smuggling in those Bibles. But he kept it up. Well, in 1525, they caught him. In 1536, they strangled him. And they were so angry with him. After strangling him, they burned his body. But again, you can't stop God's word. And the work of William Tyndale continued after his death. And it's estimated that around 80% of the King James Version of the Bible came from the work of William Tyndale. Well, God continued to raise up key figures in history. Thomas Cramner, Archbishop of Canterbury, began to be enraptured by the Word of God and the person of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. But again, the resistance was strong. And so they took him and they put him in solitary confinement. And while in solitary confinement, it appeared that Cramner had a nervous breakdown. He broke and And so when they brought some papers for him to recant his views, this broken man signed the papers saying that he recanted from his former views. Well, the city was Oxford. The year was 1555. Thomas Cramner looked through the door of his prison cell and he saw his friends Hugh Latimer and Nicholas Ridley being challenged for their faith. They were telling them to recant or else. His two friends refused. So the fire was lit on the streets of Oxford. And they led his friends over to the fire. And Hugh Latimer leaned over to Nicholas Ridley and said, The candle that they are now lighting, they will never be able to put out. And those two men gave their lives in martyrdom for their faith in Jesus Christ. Well, shortly after that, Thomas Cramner was brought out a broken man. Remember, he had recanted. And they were going to showcase him as the trophy of one who saw the light. And so they said, Thomas Cramner, say it publicly. Say that you don't believe in the authority of the word. Say it for all to hear. And Thomas Cramner said, you asked me to recant earlier. And I did. But he said, now I recant of my recantation. (laughs) Furthermore, before you can throw me in the fire, I place... Into the fire, the hand that signed those documents. And there on the streets of Oxford, England, Thomas Cramner, along with 200 others, gave their lives because they would not recant of their faith. But what Hugh Latimer said was true. The fire of the gospel could not be put out. The year was now 1709. In a small village called Eckworth, lived Samuel and Susanna Wesley. Samuel was an Anglican priest. They had 19 children, even though nine of them had died in infancy. But one day the parishioners got so upset at them that they torched the parsonage. No ideas, please. 
But as the parsonage was burning, Samuel and Susanna and all of their children were able to escape the flames except for one. Five-year-old John Wesley was missing. Susanna Wesley, the mom, was beside herself. She happened to look up to the second-story window. And through the smoke and the flames, she got a glimpse of her five-year-old son, John. And she somehow mobilized the neighbors, and, and they formed a human ladder. And they were able to pull five-year-old John Wesley out just as the building collapsed. And Susanna Wesley sobbing. She held her five-year-old son close and said, My son, John, you are truly a brand plucked from the burning. Not knowing that those would be prophetic words. Because in G- indeed, John Wesley would be a firebrand for Jesus. In 1738, John Wesley was called to preach. And it said that in his 50-year ministry, he preached over 40,000 times. To give a perspective on this, I've been in ministry for 32 years, and I roughly calculated the number of messages that I preached, and using the average of two to three per week, I figured up that I preached around 4,000 sermons in 32 years, but John Wesley preached on average 15 times per week, 40,000 sermons. It's also said that he rode on horseback approximately 140,000 miles. And to give perspective of that, that would be almost six times around the earth at the equator. And over one million people followed his teachings at death. Well, his story, the story of Jesus Christ continues. John Wesley's friend George Whitfield made seven different trips to America to preach starting in 1739. And, and it's said that George Whitfield had so much of the presence and the power of God and, and conviction was so strong that it's said that when Whitfield pronounced the name Mesopotamia, people would fall on their faces and repent from sin. Now that's revival right there, folks. Benjamin Franklin, who was a skeptic and certainly not a believer in Jesus Christ, said, I think they're over-exaggerating the reports of people coming out to Whitfield to hear Whitfield. So he stepped off the area where the crowd was and the reports of huge crowds were indeed true. But Benjamin Franklin didn't want to admit he was wrong. So he also said, I I don't believe that a man's voice can carry over this large of a crowd. They didn't have speaker systems back then. And, And so he wrote in his journal, I perched myself in a tree a quarter of a mile from the speaker stand where I knew I would barely hear his voice. But as he began to preach, he wrote, the force of his voice almost knocked me out of the tree. He also said, you know, uh, I left my, my purse, which today for guys we call it billfold. But he said, I left my purse back home because uh, he understood that Whitfield's offering appeals for his orphanages in England were so moving that people would give everything they had. And so he left it at home. But... He said when Whitfield gave his appeal, it was so moving. He said he jumped out of the tree, ran home, got his purse, and put it in the offering. Now, again, that has to be revival for that to happen. We move on to the first great awakening in Northampton, Massachusetts, 1740s. Jonathan Edwards preached the sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And from what I understand, 
He was a manuscript preacher. He had thick glasses, poor eyesight. And it said that he rarely, if ever, looked up from his notes while preaching. And he had his head just about this close to his notes. And, and from what I understand, you know, his preaching was pretty boring, kind of monotone. But it didn't matter because God empowered him. And the population in those colonies was 300,000, they say, in those days. And it's said that during this revival, the first great awakening, 30 to 40,000 of those came to know Christ. The year now was 1801. Yale University. There was another moving of the spirit that they began to call the second great awakening. And, and Charles Finney, he was an attorney and, and he left his law practice having, after having an encounter with God. And he began to introduce revival services. Now, this is crazy. Revival services in those days were so controversial. Churches began splitting over having a revival. And uh, during this time, they also created the anxious benches. They, they were rows up front that were reserved for those who knew they were not right with God. I wonder how that would go over today. So the church was having revival, but Satan never sleeps. And he began to raise up some false cults. In the late 1800s, early 1900s, you had Charles Russell, Jehovah's Witnesses. You had Joseph Smith, Brigham Young, the Mormons. You had Mary Baker Eddy, the Christian Scientist Movement. And there also began a movement to water down the scriptures and weaken their authority. And by the 1960s, most every mainline denomination would be struggling. But thank God he was still building his church. February of 1970, Wilbur, Kentucky, Asbury Bible College, during a chapel service, and they had them every day. But this one didn't end after an hour. They decided to extend it another hour, and then another hour, and then another hour. They canceled classes because God was moving in a way they had never seen before. At 6 p.m. on the second evening of that revival, the anchor man on a major television station in Lexington, Kentucky, his name was Billy Thompson. He said, I know when you watch the news each night, you have one eye on the newspaper and one eye on the television. But what I'm about to tell you tonight is so unbelievable. I'm asking you to lay down your newspaper and give me your undivided attention and he said it all started 17 miles south of Lexington in a chapel service. And it was supposed to end after one hour, but it went all day, all night. It's continued all day today. And, and now we take you live to the campus of Asbury Bible College to see what's happening. And as I was thinking about this, I can't wait for the day that I turn on the news. And, and I hear Lisa Rose and Ethan Forrest or whoever you watch. Can't wait for the day when I hear them say, ladies and gentlemen, I, I know, I know you watch the news with one eye on your smartphone and the other eye on the television. But what I'm about to tell you is so amazing that I ask you to lay down your phone and, and I take you to a little town called Eldorado Springs, Missouri, to a church you've never heard of. The Church of God Holiness, where revival has broken out. I can't wait for that day. Lord, let it happen. You know, the president of the student body of Asbury, who was a business major, was invited to another university, the Azusa Pacific University, to give his testimony. And he said, I'm not a preacher, but let me tell you what happened. He told his story and sat out and God took over and revival broke out. A basketball game was scheduled that evening. They didn't know whether or not to have it, but decided to go ahead with it. And the student body was so energized by the revival that each time Azusa Pacific made a basket, instead of the usual cheer, they yelled, Hallelujah, praise the Lord. And I guess they blew the other team right out of the water. 
At halftime, they canceled the halftime show and put a microphone on the floor and students lined up to tell what Jesus Christ had done for them. It spread across the country. You know, we Christians were once a small and tiny band. We started out with just those 12 who walked and served with Jesus. We had a great explosion on the day of Pentecost. And by the end of the day, we had 3,120. And then we grew to about 20,000 by the year 38 A.D. In the year 100, there was one of us for every 360 unbelievers. By the year 1,000, there was one of us for every 100 or 220 unbelievers. Today it's said that there is one of us for every seven unbelievers. Every 24-hour period, over 100,000 people come to know Jesus Christ. Every week, over 16,000 new churches are born on planet Earth. In China, over 30,000 per day come to know Him. In fact, they're nearing 100 million Christians in communist China. In Iran, of all places, which is considered to be in the top ten for persecuting Christians... Listen, they say that 500 Muslims are coming to Christ every month. And around the world it keeps happening because the church is alive and well. And there was a story that was covered by the secular press in the country of South Africa where God is moving. And and a few years ago, the people who wanted to be baptized from that revival lined up to be baptized. And the line was over three miles long. One archbishop and 22 bishops baptized for five solid hours. And when they were done, they had baptized 70,000 brand new followers of Jesus. And in the length of time that we've been in this Easter service, nearly 5,000 people have turned to the resurrected Savior. So what do I say to you on this Easter morning? Well, Jesus said it so well. He said, I will build my church. I will build my church. And because he's doing the building, the church of Jesus Christ is alive and well. And 2,000 years ago, Christ came out of the tomb. And forever he is glorified. Forever he is lifted high. Forever he is alive. Let's worship together. Heaven looked away The Son of God
if there are words for him, then I don't have them. You see, my brain does not yet reach the point where it could form a thought that could adequately describe the greatness of my God. And my lungs have not yet developed the ability to release a breath with enough agility to breathe out the greatness of his love. And my voice, you see, my voice is so inhibited, restrained by human limits that it's hard to even send the praise up. You see, if there are words for him, then I don't have them. My God, his, his grace is remarkable. Mercies are innumerable. Strength is impenetrable. He is honorable, accountable, favorable. He's unsearchable yet noble, indefinable yet approachable, indescribable yet personal. He's beyond comprehension, further than imagination, constant through generations, king of every nation. But if there are words for him, then I don't have them. You see, my words are few. And in trying to capture the one true God, using my vocabulary would never do because I I use words as an expression, an expression of worship to a Savior, a Savior who is both worthy and deserving of my praise. So I use words. My heart extols the Lord, blesses His name forever. He has won my heart, captured my mind, and has bound both of them together. He has defeated me in my rebellion. He's conquered me in my sin. He's welcomed me into His presence, completely invited me in. He has made Himself the object of my sight, flooding me with mercies in the morning, drowning me with grace in the night. But if there are words for Him, then I don't have them. But what I do have is good news. For my God knew that man-made words would never do. The words are just tools that we use to point to the truth. So he sent his son Jesus Christ as the word, living proof. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, giving nothingness formation. And by his word he sustains in the power of his name. For he is before all things and he's over all things. He reigns, holy is his name. So praise Him for His life, the way He persevered in strife, the humble Son of God becoming the perfect sacrifice. Praise Him for His death, that He willingly stood in our place, that He lovingly endured the grave, that He battled our enemy, and on the third day rose in victory. He is everything that was promised. Praise Him as the risen King. Lift your voice and sing. For one day, He will return for us. And we will finally be united with our Savior for eternity. Eternity. So it's not just the words that I proclaim. For my words point to the word. And the word has a name. Hope has a name. Joy has a name. Peace has a name. Love has a name. And that name is Jesus Christ, praise His name forever.
time this morning. You know, I don't want us to leave here without having an opportunity to pray. And you know, I know we come from all walks of life, and I know that some are in different levels in our walk with Jesus. But, you know, the question is, have you received forgiveness? Are you following Jesus? Remember that woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. Can you imagine how embarrassing that was? And, and the religious leaders, they were going to stone her. And Jesus said, you know, the one that, you know, is without sin, cast the first stone. They all walked away. And then what did Jesus say? He looked at her and said, you know what? I'm not going to condemn you either. But then the key statement was, he said, go and sin no more. Now, I want us to understand it's not just a matter of, of saying, God, forgive me. And, you know, every day just, you know, God, forgive me. And then keep repeating the same sins over and over but Jesus said go and sin no more Jesus wants to give deliverance I, I believe that if God could raise Jesus from the dead don't you think he can raise us out of our sins and deliver us there may be some people here that have addictions there may be some people here that are bound and they can't seem to let go of sin I believe on this Easter day, the, the message to you is freedom. You can be free. So as we pray to wrap up our service, if you're one of those that's, that's being held bondage by sin, habits, addictions, could I just encourage you to release that to Jesus today? You know what, church? It's not just for the good people. In fact, to go to church here, the only requirement is you have to have been a sinner. If you're not a sinner, you better go to another church because we're just a bunch of bad dudes here. But Jesus wants to come and cleanse us and forgive us. And so if there's somebody here this morning that is just bound by Satan, could you just reach out to God? Cry, forgive me, Lord. Help me to turn. Let's pray together. Father, I want to just pray right now just in this moment before we go home and enjoy time with family. Spirit of God, I pray that you would just do a work. Lord, for those that are bound by sin, by addictions, those that are in lifestyles of stuff that they know is wrong, God, we're not here to condemn Lord, we're here to just encourage them to seek God. And through Jesus, they can be delivered. Lord, I pray that you would just give us that honesty right now. Pray this in your name. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Is there somebody here that would just lift a hand and say, Pastor God really spoke to me today. Would you just pray for me? Don't come back and embarrass me, but just pray. Thank you. I see your hand. Anybody else? I see your hand. See your hand and yours. Just a lot of hands around. Thank you. You can put your hands down. You know, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to make a, a plea. But maybe there are some of you that you, you want to just maybe have some help with some other people that would pray with you, pray for you. And you want to come and kneel at the steps. This isn't the only place to find Christ, but it's a, it's a really safe place because others can join. Is there anybody that would like to come forward and just seek Jesus right now? Again, we're not going to wait long, but this is your opportunity. else want to come and you want to seek Jesus God is moving today 
let's just allow him to do a work. I know you've got stuff going on. We're not going to take a long time, but this is stuff that we're doing for eternity and it's worth the time. Anyone else? You want to just come and those of you that are praying here, just seek God and say, God, here I am and you know what your needs are. And If you need forgiveness, just ask Him to forgive you and then ask Him to give you His Spirit so that you can turn from those sins. Anyone else want to come? Just keep obeying the Lord. That's what we want on, on this Easter Sunday. And there's nobody so good that they don't need a Savior. There's nobody so bad that they can't be saved. And Anybody else? You want to just pray here? Just give you a few moments. Father, I want to thank you for uh, these that have come. There were a lot more that raised their hands. I believe you're speaking today. Lord, don't let us miss this moment to get things right with you. Your word says that today is the day of salvation. Now is the time. And, and these that have come forward, they're serious about it. Lord, I pray that you would just, uh, that you would just do that work of cleansing. God, we don't want to be just... Uh, tickled by in our emotions and but father we, we want to truly be stirred to a point of change and that's what the gospel is all about change that we would be changed today lord i pray that easter wouldn't be forgotten till next year lord that we would take the spirit of easter home which the spirit of easter is that jesus is alive and he's working today he's building his church and I pray, God, that you would just uh, tomorrow in the days to come that we would remember that Jesus died for us and he also lives for us. And so, Lord, we just thank you so much for the privilege of knowing God through his son, Jesus. We ask these favors in Jesus' precious and holy name. And again, all of God's people said, amen. Before you go, uh, let me just say that, you know, if you need some counsel by a staff member or, or somebody here, you know, feel free to call us uh, this week or seek us out afterwards. We'd love to pray with you. And I want to just wish you a happy Easter, Resurrection Day. God bless you. Thank you for coming. And parents, don't forget the uh, Easter treasure hunt. And you can just kind of head back that way and uh, you'll be directed to the right place. Thank you. You're dismissed. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.